This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... We see that the world in 2023 is not the world after the Second World War. And therefore, we are supporting two permanent seats in the Security Council, also for the African continent. That's German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock, who, with her French counterpart, added their support for Africa to have two permanent seats on the UN Security Council. Details coming up. Also, China's new foreign minister is wrapping up his week-long trip to Africa. And the UN is seeking funds to help feed more than 30 million children with acute malnutrition. We have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. The foreign ministers of France and Germany have voiced support for Africa to receive two permanent seats on the powerful UN Security Council. Maya Msikur reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock said she and French Foreign Minister Catherine Colonna added their support to an African push for permanent seats on the Security Council. Baerbock spoke after she and Colonna met with African Union Chairperson Musa Faki at AU headquarters in Addis Ababa. So as European partners, that I as a German foreign minister, we see that the world in 2023 is not the world after the Second World War. And therefore, we are supporting two permanent seats in the Security Council also for the African continent. African leaders have for years called for a permanent seat on the powerful UN body. Outgoing African Union Chairman Macky Sall, also the president of Senegal, reiterated that demand at the September UN General Assembly. He said Africa should also have a seat in the G20 group of the world's largest economies. U.S. President Biden backed both efforts at the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington last month. Currently, the Security Council has five permanent members, Britain, China, France, Russia, and the United States. Other countries are elected to the Council for two-year terms by the UN General Assembly. Having permanent seats on the Security Council would for the first time give African countries veto power over UN resolutions. Meanwhile, Baerbock said Russia's invasion of Ukraine underscored the importance of relations between the European Union and the African Union. As we are seeing that also the European peace order is under attack, This needs even more support from our friends. And we need you. We need Africa in defending our European peace order. Baerbach on Thursday made a visit to a World Food Program warehouse storing donated Ukrainian grain and condemned Moscow for using food as a weapon of war. She was referring to Russian forces blocking some Ukrainian grain exports as the Horn of Africa suffers through a record drought that has tens of millions struggling with hunger. The two foreign ministers also met with Ethiopia's Prime Minister, Abiy Ahmed, Thursday and called for accountability for atrocities committed during the war in the northern Tigray region. Rights groups accuse all sides of committing rapes, torture and extrajudicial killings during the two-year war. The EU suspended some support for Ethiopia over the abuses and says accountability in the war is a condition for normalizing relations. 
French Foreign Minister Colonna's visit will include a grant of about 30 million U.S. dollars to eight people affected by the war. The foreign ministers are in Addis to support a November peace deal between Ethiopia's federal government and Tigray authorities. Since the agreement, Ethiopia has restored the flow of humanitarian aid and some basic services to Tigray, while Eritrea has withdrawn its forces from parts of the region. On Tuesday, the Tigray People's Liberation Front began turning over heavy weapons to the Ethiopian army. Maya Misakir for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. China's new foreign minister, Shen Gang, is wrapping up his week-long trip to five African countries with a stop in Egypt where he will meet with the Arab League Secretary General. That follows the first summit between top officials of 21 Arab countries and China's president a few weeks ago. Paul Nandantulia, a research associate at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, explained to VOA senior analyst Mohamed al-Shanawi the significance of his meeting with the Arab League and Chinese strategy in Africa. I think this is a continuation of the China-Arab summit. It's a continuation of President Xi Jinping's uh, summit with his Saudi counterpart. And it is also an expansion of uh, Chinese engagement. I mean, over the past five to ten years, we've seen a major, major push by China to improve and to deepen its relationships with North African countries, uh, Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia, and other countries, as well as North Africa. So I think the, the visit to Cairo is going to enable Ambassador Chin uh, to basically address two complementary issues. The first, of course, is to underscore Africa's importance to China's diplomatic strategy and foreign policy. And the other is to show the importance of the Gulf within Chinese uh, strategy. So that is basically the motivation as to why Egypt was selected. And it's not the first time that China does this. China always marries its North Africa engagements with its very, very aggressive diplomacy and diplomatic outreach in the Arab world. So it's basically hitting two birds with one stone. Would China's effort to enlist African support for its strategy intensify during Xi's third term? Absolutely. It is going to intensify. Africa, if you look at the Chinese documents, Africa is part of the foundation of Chinese foreign policy. I mean, the Chinese foreign policy has a doctrine that looks at the countries of the global south, including African countries, as the foundation of its foreign policy. So everything that China is doing at the international level, enhancing its engagements multilaterally, enhancing its ability to reform elements of the international system, pushing forward with its global ambitions to establish global leadership in different institutions, those objectives are supported and rely very heavily on support from the global south and Africa in particular. I think it's important to remember that all African countries apart from one, Eswatini, recognize the one China policy, vote with China when it comes to uh, critical issues at the United Nations and in multilateral institutions like the IMF and World Bank, support Chinese positions, enhance Chinese diplomatic stances at the international level, and have also assisted, frankly, African countries have also assisted China to develop its credentials in many areas, such as peacekeeping, for instance. I mean, even the Chinese government itself recognizes that its ability and its capacity to undertake peacekeeping uh, depended very greatly on lessons and engagement with African countries, because African countries contribute more troops to peacekeeping missions than any other uh, region in the world. And peacekeeping is essentially an African endeavor, because most of the world's peace operations are located in Africa, and most of the world's peacekeepers are African. Over 80% of 
them. So China very strategically has been able to use Africa and to work with Africa to be able to operate at a global level. So Africa will continue to be a critically important foundation for Chinese foreign policy. And I think this is going to accelerate under Xi Jinping's third term. So how would you describe China's economic involvement in Africa, judging from a three decades record? Yes, I think uh, economically, you know, China has been able to make many inroads in the area of, of infrastructure, but then also other areas like agriculture, uh, agriculture development, you know, areas like energy. Right now, African countries are trying to encourage Chinese participation in implementing the, the African continental free trade area. China is a critically important partner of the African Development Bank and other African institutions. And indeed, China has also worked to bring African countries on board to participate in the Asia Infrastructure Development Bank. So the economic relationship has become very multifaceted. It's become very, very complex. I think one of the issues that African countries are going to want to be extremely focused on is expanding trade because essentially the relationship between China and Africa hasn't changed much. I mean, the nature of the relationship is such that uh, African countries are basically importing finished goods from China and exporting raw materials, right? So there's the problem of value addition. And this remains part of the pattern of uh, trade, not just between African countries and China, but also African countries and other powers. So I think there's a lot that the the African side can do. And at the same time, I think it's also important that debt discussion, the discussion on debt, debt sustainability as well, extremely important. I mean, some countries like Ethiopia and Angola, Angola's debt to China is about 40% of Angola's uh, debt stock is uh, owed to China. So I think it will be very, very important for African countries to really balance the relationship in such a way that it becomes a trade-led relationship as opposed to an aid-led model. I think this will be critically important for African countries to pay attention to. That was uh, Paul Danatulia, a research associate at Africa Center for Strategic Studies, speaking with VOA's Mohamed Al-Shinnawi. The United Nations is seeking funds to support more than 30 million children suffering from acute malnutrition in countries affected by the food crisis. 13 of the 15 most serious affected countries are in Africa, Burkina Faso, the DRC, Chad, Ethiopia, Kenya, Mali, Madagascar, Niger, Nigeria, Somalia, Sudan, South Sudan, and Yemen. The UN Action Plan targets children, mothers, and caregivers of children under the age of five, as well as pregnant and breastfeeding women to prevent malnutrition and weakened immune systems that can lead to wasting and death from common childhood illnesses. UN agencies say they want to improve food, health, water, hygiene, and social protection systems. They are also working to ensure that Healthy food is available and affordable. Ethiopia's military in a statement said Amhara forces have started withdrawing from northern Tigray region. The statement Thursday said the regional forces which fought alongside the Ethiopian government against Tigrayan rebels were ordered to leave the town of Shire and its surroundings. Ethiopia's Defense Force Deputy Army Chief General Ababaw Taddesa was said to have witnessed the withdrawal. There was no immediate comment on the announcement from Tigrayan authorities. The withdrawal could not be independently confirmed as Ethiopia has for more than a year not allowed journalists to enter Tigray. If confirmed, the withdrawal would be another sign of progress on a key part of the November peace deal between the federal and Tigray authorities to end the brutal two-year war. The African Union brokered agreement includes the withdrawal of foreign forces from Tigray, the restoration of basic services and humanitarian aid, and the disarming of Tigray rebels.
The Tigray People's Liberation Front on Wednesday began handing over heavy weapons to the federal government. Witnesses say Eritrean troops who also fought against the TPLF left two cities in Tigray last month. It is not clear, though, whether they are withdrawing from the region entirely. Maya Misakir for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Please note we have moved our programs from voanews.com to voaafrica.com. There you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com. U.S. President Joe Biden's lawyer said Thursday that more documents had been found at his home in the state of Delaware. Earlier this week, the White House confirmed that classified documents from Biden's term as vice president were found at a Washington think tank that Biden had used as an office after his term. VOA's Laurel Bowman has our story. It's been an embarrassing week for the White House since news broke that classified documents were found in November at a Washington think tank where President Joe Biden had worked after serving as vice president. And today, the White House announced that more documents had been found at a Biden residence in Delaware. The Democratic president spoke Thursday, saying his lawyers had gone in search of the classified papers and turned them over. As I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. But Republican leaders were quick to cry foul, saying Democrats had gone after former President Donald Trump hard while the FBI was searching his Florida Mar-a-Lago home and removing classified documents from it. This after Trump left the presidency. Newly elected Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives Kevin McCarthy said this about President Biden. Here's an individual that's been in office for more than 40 years. Here's an individual that sat on 60 Minutes that was so concerned about President Trump's documents locked in behind. And now we find it just as a vice president, keeping it for years out in the open in different locations. A special counsel is investigating whether Trump committed a criminal offense in failing to turn over classified material especially after repeated requests from the National Archives and a subpoena from the Department of Justice. Thursday, Attorney General Merrick Garland said the Justice Department was also appointing a special counsel to investigate classified documents found in Biden's care. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters and to making decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. U.S. law says that classified documents from presidencies go to the National Archives and not elsewhere. Laurel Bowman, VOA News, Washington. Nigerian youth running for public office in February 25th elections are urging their peers to turn out in large numbers to vote for candidates who will prioritize their needs. VOA's Mike Hove spoke with Ayomidi Benjamin Feyajima, a 25-year-old Labor Party representative who is seeking a House of Assembly seat in Oyo State. Thank you very much, Mike. I... Uh, when I came into politics, I, um, I searched for platforms to use. I looked at different platforms, went 
to make consultations in different political parties. Number one, in Nigeria, election is so very expensive. Uh, you can't just say you want to move to any platform, uh, except you have been there for a very long time. Aside you've been there for a very long time, also you have to be uh, financially stable. And that is, that, uh, and as, a young, as a young man, uh, I'm not financially there. So I just have to look for a platform that will cohabit me, a platform that will give me room to run. Now let's talk a little more about your constituency. Um, what are you planning to do, especially as a young 25-year-old? Uh, what are you planning to do for your constituency if you are elected into public office? My plans for my constituency is I have three major bills I want to raise in the House. The first one, I tell people uh, about food security. Because Nigeria here, uh, we are known to we are known to uh, to be farmers, especially my constituency. And uh, but there have been setbacks, setbacks in the way that government has not been encouraging farmers. And also uh, in my constituency, I can tell you, Mike, that there is no tertiary institution in my constituency. And uh, part of the motion I'll be moving in the house is I want to raise a bill that already existed uh, tertiary institution in your states. I want there should be a satellite campus in my constituency. And the third one is about uh, security. Uh, in Nigeria, yeah, we have problem with farmers and uh, 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 those cattle uh, rearers uh, because that has, that has been a major problem in Nigeria, especially in my constituency, uh, how we can uh, have our own local securities to defend our people, especially in the, in the rural aspect where we have farmers uh, the, uh, the farms and uh, that their lives are not secured with all these uh, X-Men. So I, I'll be moving. I'll be moving motions in the house that will that will bring about local securities to defend our people. Now tell me something, Benjamin. Um, youth participation in politics is something that seems to be uh, called for in Africa. Uh, with Nigerian elections coming up, what words would you have to your peers in terms of participation, in terms of having them not just only vote, but run for public office? There are a lot of discouragement everywhere. People will tell you, you cannot do it. Go and sit down. You don't have the money. You don't have the capacity. But I've, I've stood my ground to say, I want to make a difference, regardless of either uh, I'm financially there or not. I've concentrated my time in uh, voters' awareness. I've concentrated my time in uh, going into grassroots, going into uh, 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 the inner part of my constituency to start educating them on why they shouldn't sell their votes, why they shouldn't, why they must participate, why they must vote their conscience, why they must vote, please and please, do not sell your votes. Your vote is your power. Stand up to take back your country. Let us rise up together. We can make this positive change together. And I believe that together we can. That was uh, IMED Benjamin Fejima, a 25-year-old Labour Party representative seeking a House Assembly seat in Oyo State in February 25th elections. He spoke with VOA's Mike Hove via Zoom. Reuters reports that Uganda has terminated a deal with a Chinese company to build a rail line to the Kenya border and is considering a new agreement with a Turkish company. The news service quotes an unidentified senior official in the Ministry of Works and Transport who says the China Harbor and Engineering Company has not been willing to provide funding for the 273-kilometer railway. It would include a standard gauge rail running to the Indian Ocean port of Mombasa. Instead, Ugandan officials are said to have signed a memorandum of understanding with the Turkish company Yapi Merkezi.
which is building a 1,200-kilometer railway line in Tanzania that will help boost trade with neighboring countries. Reuters says the Chinese company so far has not objected to the end of the deal. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including the concessions House Speaker Kevin McCarthy agreed to in a bid to appease conservative members of his party, set up showdowns this year with Senate Democrats and President Biden, possibly heightening the danger of a national default or a government shutdown. We'll have this and more on Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. On December 9th, just one day before the Global Observance of Human Rights Day, the United Nations passed a binding resolution that established a carve-out across UN sanctions regimes to facilitate the delivery of humanitarian assistance in areas under the control of designated individuals and entities or with substantial populations of individuals affiliated with designated groups. The resolution was co-drafted by the United States and Ireland, with 53 countries joining as co-sponsors. This is a win for people in need everywhere, humanitarian aid workers trying to reach them as well, said U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. Sanctions are an important tool in our arsenal. They help us constrain bad actors without resorting to violence, to stop terrorists and human rights abusers. At the same time, we hear from the humanitarian community that some U.N. sanctions are having second-order impacts. They unintentionally make aid more difficult to deliver. To mitigate such unintended effects, the United States has supported humanitarian exemptions within individual UN sanctions regimes. The humanitarian community applauded these efforts as incredibly helpful, but continued to point out the need to create a single standard carve-out of humanitarian assistance from UN sanctions regimes. Today, we delivered on that request, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. In unambiguous language, we have exempted critical humanitarian activities from UN sanctions, and in doing so, we have also made our existing UN sanctions more effective and better targeted toward bad actors. Speed saves lives. Humanitarians need to act fast to get medicines to a community in need, to get a roof over the heads of freezing people, and to get food to starving children. Now we have removed significant impediments. When the funds are there and the humanitarian actors are ready, they can spring into action. They can and will save more lives all around the globe. And that is something that we all can be proud of. This resolution includes safeguards to protect against abuse and evasion by sanctioned persons and entities, including by establishing reporting requirements to ensure detection and mitigation of possible aid diversion, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken in a written statement. By providing exceptions for humanitarian activities across UN sanctions regimes, the resolution provides much-needed clarity to the international community, humanitarian assistance providers, and critical commercial service providers, which will help facilitate the delivery of aid and goods that are critical to saving lives around the world. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. I'm Nabil Biagio and here's what's coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The humanitarian coordinator in South Sudan has strongly condemned the killing of three aid workers in the country. And South Sudanese lawmakers are calling on the government to intervene and stop ongoing violence in parts of the country. 
Tune in for these stories and more at 1630 UTC in Dubai, 1700 UTC in Kenya on VOA Africa. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Dimi Moakadielie, and our engineer, Helen Kurdian, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. <laughs> <laughs>